Thank you, Jeremy, worship team, and uh, boy, brought us right to where we need to be as we look at God's Word together. Looking forward to our time, and um, yeah, it's been a while since I've been here at this campus. I always like coming here, and uh, some things have happened in my life I thought I'd share with you. Uh, on September 22, our son Daniel and his wife Nicole gave us our first ever grandchild. thought I'd show you a picture, which is kind of cool. And uh, Blakeland James, this is an interesting name. I've never heard of Blakeland before. Maybe you have. James, I asked our son, where did James come from? That's not in our family. It's not in the other family. Uh, he said, well, it's a touch of Cleveland. I'll leave it there. <laughs> he, he used to work with the Cavaliers for eight years, so who knows? Anyways, uh, but I, for the next 20 minutes, what I'd like to just show you some pictures. Um, that, I, I, that's a joke. It's amazing. She's already talking and walking. Um, after a week and a half, it's incredible. All right, on to the series called Undaunted. I love this term, the, the word. We don't use it very often. Years ago, I read a history book by Stephen Ambrose. It was on the history of, of Lewis and Clark, the adventures of Lewis and Clark, who, you know, were commissioned by President Jefferson in 1803 to explore the West. If anybody ever embodied the idea of undaunted, it was them. It means bravery. It means courage. It means gritty. And so we're doing a four-week series called Undaunted, some undaunted, some people in the Bible who lived undauntedly. And last week, we looked at a character by the name of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19, a small man, a tax collector, who in an undaunted way pursued Jesus and the start of a new life. What a great study that was. Today, we're looking at a little bit more obscure figure uh, not from the Gospel of Luke, but from his second book, which is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the, uh, the story of the birth of the church and the expansion of the church into the known world at that time. And uh, we'll find out what her name is in just a moment. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And that chapter is primarily known for the conversion of Saul, who then became the Apostle Paul, and then went on to write a third of the New Testament. Uh, but then uh, appearing is the Apostle Peter. He shows up again in the story. And Peter is going from village to village, from town to town, teaching, preaching, and healing. He had this remarkable gift, which was prevalent back in those days of the early church of healing. And uh, that's where I want to pick it up at chapter 9, verse 36, and find this person that maybe you've heard about, maybe you've not. And it starts like this. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Some versions of the Bible says there was a believer or there was a disciple in Joppa. Joppa, she was a follower of Jesus. Joppa was a major city, seaport. Uh, on the Mediterranean Sea in Israel. Today, you won't find Joppa, you'll find Joppa, J-A-F-F-A. But what I think is interesting, uh, uh, out of all the people in Joppa, out of the other believers in Joppa, why are we reading about Tabitha slash Dorcas? Why is her name preserved for centuries of believers to read? What is it about her that she is immortalized in Scripture? Let's find out together. So back in those days, there were three primary languages. There was Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And in Aramaic, her name was Tabitha, but in Greek, her name was Dorcas. Now, this is the first time in the New Testament 
a woman's name is given in Greek. Why would it be important for them to give her name in Greek, Dorcas? Now, there's a couple reasons. One is just to show you that you don't have to live by the name Dorcas. <laughs> you can live by another name. In fact, you talk about undaunted, courage, gritty. Wouldn't you have to have all that to go through life with the name Dorcas? And I know I've, if, I, if your name is Dorcas, we'll have words afterward, I'm sure. But another reason she's called, <laughs> another reason, they, the, the reason they mentioned Dorcas is because of what it meant. It, it's another name for, for gazelle or a doe. And this is what one author said. The gazelle is distinguished for its slender and beautiful form, its graceful movement, and its soft but brilliant eyes. It is frequently introduced by the Hebrews and other Oriental nations as an image of female loveliness, and the name was often employed as a proper name in the case of females. Do you know in Africa, there is a subspecies of the gazelle called the Dorcas gazelle? I didn't know that until I started studying this text. So, we don't know if she was beautiful on the outside, beautiful form and all that. We don't know if she was graceful and could, you know, dance with dances with the stars. We have no idea. But what we do know is that she had this beauty on the inside, that she was gracious. See, she kind of represented what Proverbs chapter 31 says about beautiful women. In fact, that chapter ends by saying that charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, honors God, will be praised. And that is Dorcas. Now, how do we know that about her? Because of what's said. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. <laughs> she was kind. She, she was good. And she was charitable toward others. One author says, when Luke says that Dorcas was full of good works, he meant the word full to refer primarily to her inward grace, which prompted the outward deeds. And so she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. And this seemed to have flowed out of her core, who she was. It wasn't like, well, you know what, I'm going to check this off the list and do this today. Or, or I'm going to sign up for that because I, I, need to, I need to feel better about myself. Or I, I'm going to sign up for that so I can look better. And No, I, this, this was coming out of her core. Nothing veneer about it, nothing cosmetic about it. This is who she was. It was her pattern of life. In fact, we could say this, that she lived to serve. She was just known for her good deeds, for her love, for her charity, that seemed to flow out of her relationship with Jesus, as well as contributed to her relationship with Jesus. So the adventure of serving is an interesting thing. It gets really interesting when a person begins to explore who God made them to be how God has shaped them, what, what their spiritual gifts are, what, what they love to do, what their abilities are, what their personality is, we're not all the same, what their education is, what their experiences are. All of this flows together to help us understand how we can honor God by serving God and serving others with the gifts and abilities he's given us. And that's different all over the room. Now, this is I've just explained to you the history of the church, <laughs> because the church has always been like that. And I don't care where you go in the world today, to Burundi or India or Yakutsk, Siberia, wherever you want to go, the church is the same. It's made up of people 
who are on an adventure of understanding how God has made them with certain abilities and interests. That when used to serve Christ, they are also used to serve other people. And so this is what we love about Dorcas. What a crazy name, but oh my goodness, what a beautiful, gracious individual who just lived to serve. Now, um, unfortunately, she served to her last breath, and then it took a devastating turn. Here we go. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter, the apostle Peter, is in nearby Lydda. And, uh, you know, he had just gotten done with some ministry there in that city, healing a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Now, there's no evidence that the people from Joppa sent for Peter because they wanted a miracle. But Peter's reputation was out there, and I got to think that they were hoping for something miraculous to happen. And so Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. Now just kind of transport yourself back into the time, back into that room, and what was that like? You've been in a setting where people have experienced loss, where you've experienced loss, and it's overwhelming. I, I've had the privilege of doing so many funerals over the years, and I've you know, really appreciated being a part of every single one of them. But I can tell you there are times when the memory of the person who has now passed just seems to take on a life of its own because of the way they lived their lives. They, a giving person, a generous person, a, a charitable person. And, and you know, in Joppa, there were other people who died. <laughs> there were other people in the church who died. But, but why, why send for Peter for Dorcas? Who was Dorcas? Because of what she meant to the community. The widows filled the room and began to show the very cloths and clothes that she had made for them. She had left a legacy of kindness and goodness and charity. And that was her ministry. That's who she loved and that's who she served, the widows and the poor in the community. She just did whatever she could because that's the way God made her to be. Somebody wrote these words. Behind her sewing of garment was a saved soul. I think that's true. Here, here's how it works. One of my favorite definitions of the gospel, if you ever want to share with somebody. What, what does the gospel mean? Uh, let me tell you. The gospel is this, that God has done for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Isn't that good news? <laughs> That's good news, that God has done for us through Jesus what I could never do for myself. And now here is Dorcas taking that gospel and putting feet on it for those around her. She is now doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. That's good news. And they knew it. 
So she lived to serve, and she used her abilities for the sake of others. I have a question for you. What's in your hand? Sounds like the Allstate commercial. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's your ability? What has God given you to do? For, for Dorcas, it was, a, it was a needle and thread. It's not mine, I can tell you. But how do you make lives better with what God has put in your hands, with your abilities? Maybe you know this, that here at the chapel, we have a, a ministry that's called Chapel Close-Knit Group. And uh, they've been around for some time. Um, and they sow things to make people's lives better. The, the leader of the close-knit group said, some of us are still making hats and scarves, and I'll be collecting them and looking for a place to donate them, like the Salvation Army or the Victory Kitchen. That's not all. Up here on this table, um, I have this red scarf. Maybe you've seen these around. Uh, these have been knitted for years for kids who have aged out of foster care programs and then sent to them on Valentine's Day when they're away at college or away somewhere. Isn't that cool? Just to show a touch of love. This right here is, a, is an Afghan blanket that they pray over, and they give this to parents of new babies, or maybe to someone who's been diagnosed with a terrible problem, or maybe going into the hospital or into a nursing home. They provide these and pray over them. And isn't that just kind and generous and charitable and like Dorcas. Now, some of you are looking at me with glazed over eyes, like, okay, like what does sewing have to do with me? Because you're like me, a needle and a thread, you'd hurt yourself. What is your ability? I'm going to put on the screen some, some, some ideas, some, some, th some things that that might resonate with you. It's certainly not an exhaustive list, and I'll explain that in a minute. But for example, cooking and baking. <laughs> Did you know that when we have classes here at the chapel, we always try to provide food. We call on what's called our hospitality team. Maybe you could be on the hospitality team if this is your thing. Um, I made cookies the other day, so I don't qualify, I can tell you that. But some of you might. Um, we, we try to take meals to those who are you know, coming out of the hospital and, and so on. We try to be a church that way. We'd like to be part of the hospitality team. Or maybe it's, maybe you're handy. You like to fix things and build things. And by the way, the, the, the close-knit group isn't, isn't just for women. It tends to be women, but I'm sure some guys could join. And sometimes when you think about building or fixing, this is for women also, for sure. Former church, I was associated with a ministry called the Dorcas Ministry. So I thought, well, we need to put together a guys group. Let's just call it the dorks. But that, 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 wasn't, that, that didn't go well. So anyways, but building, fixing things. We try to help people in the community who have a need. Now, we're associated with a group that really does this well called ACT, ACT, Answering the Call Together. And what they do is they go, they go out through Huron County, Erie County, into the regional areas where there's been uh, devastating damage and just trying to build and Fix things. Is that you, perhaps? Uh, maybe you have a heart for prayer. Every week, we have just a list of people who are going through things that you can't imagine, and you may be going through one of those things right now. 
we want people, to, maybe that's your heart, to pray. Uh, maybe it's uh, with computers, or let me just expand that and say technology. Uh, the reason we can do things up front here is because of people like that back there in the tech booth and around this building and other campuses. Technology is a huge thing. You have an interest that way. Or maybe your heart is for teenagers. You know, when you were a teen in school, and I don't know, you just remember that, and you have a heart for what teenagers are going through and what they need, and you would like to participate. We're relaunching, reforming, restarting our whole high school ministry, and uh, we need adults, we need host homes, we need somebody to step up and to help out. And Joe Binkley is leading the way. He's at this campus, but for all three campuses, uh, they'll be meeting for the first time at the end of August, August 25th, and uh, this is going to be a fun time together, and if you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. Now, now, those are just some examples. What you could do, if you have interest, is simply text that number, and you'll find uh, the things that I just mentioned, or you can list something other that you have interest in or good at what your ability is, and we'll find a way to help you plug into this church. Why? Because we're made to serve Christ by serving each other. Or, uh, if you don't want to text, on the way out, you're going to be handed a card, and it just says, Live to Serve. And it has the options that I just went through, um, but also a place where you can put others, something else, and just drop these in the giving boxes or mail them in, and we will help you connect in that way. All right? Now, Dorcas lived to serve. That was, that was her heart, and then she died, and that was a terrible loss for the community. But something good is about to happen here. That's what happened. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. What was that like? Oh, my. So, so in, in a sense, Dorcas, she lived to serve. She used her abilities for the sake of others. And then she lived to serve another day. The very last verse in this story goes like this. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. Now, we don't know what was going through Peter's mind. I can imagine a few things. You know, his theology was forming in these early days. But I'm sure he knew enough. Hmm, Dorcas has passed away, which means she is immediately in the presence of Jesus in paradise. <laughs> Do I really want to bring her back from paradise to here? And when she was raised from the dead, what did Dorcas say? What were you thinking? Who knows? But Peter had good reasons to do this. One is, he knew that a resurrected life would speak volumes to the community. And in fact, many believed in the Lord. That's what we just read. But he also was in the room with the widows and those others who were holding up clothes and cloths that Dorcas had put together for them. And there was a chord of sympathy that was touched in his heart. Oh, she still has work to do. She still has things to do. 
What a giver. What a charitable person. Now, as we approach communion together, I want to ask you this question. What made her so selfless? What made her so sacrificial? And the answer is this, is that Jesus himself was selfless and was sacrificial. I'm going to show you a, a favorite verse, and we'll let this lead us into our time of communion. It goes like this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, over in 1 John chapter 4, John writes that we love because God first loved us. Well, you know, it's supposed to look, work that way with serving as well. We serve before, because God first served us. In a few moments, we're going to hold the bread and the cup in our hands. If you have one, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and someone will get one to you.